Drafting and Adoption of the Constitution. In March 1785, delegates from Virginia and Maryland assembled at the Mount Vernon Conference to fashion a remedy to the inefficiencies of the Articles of Confederation. The following year, at a meeting in Annapolis, Maryland, 12 delegates from five states, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Virginia, met and drew up a list of problems with the current government model. At its conclusion, the delegates scheduled a follow-up meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for May 1787 to present solutions to these problems, such as the absence of interstate arbitration processes to handle quarrels between states, sufficiently trained and armed intrastate security forces to suppress insurrection, a national militia to repel foreign invaders. It quickly became apparent that the solution to all three of these problems required shifting control of the state's militias to the Federal Congress and giving it the power to raise a standing army. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution codified these changes by allowing the Congress to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States by doing the following. Raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for a longer term than two years. Provide and maintain a navy. Make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. Provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections and repel invasions. Provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively, the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Some representatives mistrusted proposals to enlarge federal powers, because they were concerned about the inherent risks of centralizing power. Federalists, including James Madison, initially argued that a Bill of Rights was unnecessary, sufficiently confident that the federal government could never raise a standing army powerful enough to overcome a militia. Federalist Noah Webster argued that an armed populace would have no trouble resisting the potential threat to liberty of a standing army. Anti-Federalists, on the other hand, advocated amending the Constitution with clearly defined and enumerated rights providing more explicit constraints on the new government. Many anti-Federalists feared the new federal government would choose to disarm state militias. Federalists countered that enlisting only certain rights, unlisted rights might lose protection. The Federalists realized there was insufficient support to ratify the Constitution without a Bill of Rights and so they promised to support amending the Constitution to add a Bill of Rights following the Constitution's adoption. This compromise persuaded enough anti-Federalists to vote for the Constitution, allowing for ratification. The Constitution was declared ratified on June 21, 1788, when nine of the original 13 states had ratified it. The remaining four states later followed suit, although the last two states, North Carolina and Rhode Island, ratified only after Congress had passed the Bill of Rights and sent it to the states for ratification. James Madison drafted what ultimately became the Bill of Rights, which was proposed by the First Congress on June 8, 1789, and was adopted on December 15, 1791. Debates on Amending the Constitution The debate surrounding the Constitution's ratification is of practical importance, particularly to adherents of originalist and strict constructionist legal theories. In the context of such legal theories elsewhere, it is important to understand the language of the Constitution in terms of what that language meant to the people who wrote and ratified the Constitution. Robert Whitehill, a delegate from Pennsylvania, sought to clarify the draft Constitution with a Bill of Rights explicitly granting individuals the right to hunt on their own land in season, though Whitehill's language was never debated. Argument for State Power There was substantial opposition to the new Constitution because it moved the power to arm the state militias from the states to the federal government. This created a fear that the federal government, by neglecting the upkeep of the militia, 
could have overwhelming military force at its disposal through its power to maintain a standing army and navy, leading to a confrontation with the states, encroaching on the state's reserved powers, and even engaging in a military takeover. Article 6 of the Articles of Confederation States. No vessel of war shall be kept up in time of peace by any state, except such number only, as shall be deemed necessary by the United States in Congress assembled, for the defense of such state, or its trade, nor shall any body of forces be kept up by any state in time of peace, except such number only, as in the judgment of the United States, in Congress assembled, shall be deemed requisite to garrison the forts necessary for the defense of such state, but every state shall always keep up a well-regulated and disciplined militia, sufficiently armed and accoutred, and shall provide and constantly have ready for use, in public stores, a due number of field pieces and tents, and a proper quantity of arms, ammunition and camp equipage. In contrast, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 16 of the U.S. Constitution states, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining, the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively, the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Government Tyranny A foundation of American political thought during the revolutionary period was concerned about political corruption and governmental tyranny. Even the Federalists, fending off their opponents who accused them of creating an oppressive regime, were careful to acknowledge the risks of tyranny. Against that backdrop, the framer saw the personal right to bear arms as a potential check against tyranny. Theodore Sedgwick of Massachusetts expressed this sentiment by declaring that it is a chimerical idea to suppose that a country like this could ever be enslaved, is it possible that an army could be raised for the purpose of enslaving themselves or their brethren? Or, if raised whether they could subdue a nation of freemen, who knows how to prize liberty and who have arms in their hands? Noah Webster similarly argued. Before a standing army can rule the people must be disarmed, as they are in almost every kingdom in Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword, because the whole body of the people are armed, and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops that can be, on any pretense, raised in the United States. George Mason also argued the importance of the militia and right to bear arms by reminding his compatriots of the British government's efforts to disarm the people, that it was the best and most effectual way to enslave them, by totally disusing and neglecting the militia. He also clarified that under prevailing practice the militia included all people, rich and poor. Who are the militia? They consist now of the whole people, except a few public officers. Because all were members of the militia, all enjoyed the right to individually bear arms to serve therein. Writing after the ratification of the Constitution, but before the election of the first Congress, James Monroe included the right to keep and bear arms and a list of basic human rights, which he proposed to be added to the Constitution. Patrick Henry argued in the Virginia Ratification Convention on June 5, 1788, for the dual rights to arms and resistance to oppression. Guard with jealous attention the public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. Unfortunately, nothing will preserve it but downright force. Whenever you give up that force, you are inevitably ruined. To maintain slavery. Preserving slave patrols. In the slave states, the militia was available for military operations, but its biggest function was to police the slaves. According to Dr. Carl T. Bogus, professor of law of the Roger Williams University Law School in Rhode Island, the Second Amendment was written to assure the Southern states that Congress would not undermine the slave system by using its newly acquired constitutional authority over the militia to disarm the state militia and thereby destroy the South's principal instrument of slave control. In his close analysis of James Madison's writings, Bogus describes the South's obsession with militias during the ratification process. 
The militia remained the principal means of protecting the social order and preserving white control over an enormous black population. Anything that might weaken this system presented the gravest of threats. This preoccupation is clearly expressed in 1788 by the slaveholder Patrick Henry. If the country is invaded, a state may go to war, but cannot suppress insurrections. If there should happen an insurrection of slaves, the country cannot be said to be invaded. They cannot, therefore, suppress it without the interposition of Congress, Congress, and Congress only, can call forth the militia. Therefore, Bogus argues, in a compromise with the slave states, and to reassure Patrick Henry, George Mason and other slaveholders that they would be able to keep their slave control militias independent of the federal government, James Madison, also slave owner, redrafted the Second Amendment into its current form for the specific purpose of assuring the southern states, and particularly his constituents in Virginia, that the federal government would not undermine their security against slave insurrection by disarming the militia. Legal historian Paul Finkelman argues that this scenario is implausible. Henry and Mason were political enemies of Madison's, and neither man was in Congress at the time Madison drafted Bill of Rights. Moreover, Patrick Henry argued against the ratification of both the Constitution and the Second Amendment, and it was Henry's opposition that led Patrick's home state of Virginia to be the last to ratify. Most Southern white men between the ages of 18 and 45 were required to serve on slave patrols, which were organized groups of white men who enforced discipline upon enslaved blacks. Bogus writes with respect to Georgia laws passed in 1755 and 1757 in this context, the Georgia statutes required patrols, under the direction of commissioned militia officers, to examine every plantation each month and authorize them to search all Negro houses for offensive weapons and ammunition and to apprehend and give 20 lashes to any slave found outside plantation grounds. Finkelman recognizes that James Madison drafted an amendment to protect the right of the states to maintain their militias, but insists that the amendment had nothing to do with state police powers, which were the basis of slave patrols. To avoid arming free blacks. According to Pennsylvania attorney Anthony Picadio, the southern slave states would never have ratified the Second Amendment if it had been understood as creating an individual right to own firearms because of their fear of arming free blacks, hence the emphasis on the phrase well-regulated militia, introducing the Second Amendment. Firstly, slave owners feared that enslaved blacks might be emancipated through military service. A few years earlier, there had been a precedent when Lord Dunmore offered freedom to slaves who escaped and joined his forces with liberty to slaves stitched onto their jacket pocket flaps. Freed slaves also served in General Washington's army. Secondly, they also greatly feared a ruinous slave rebellion in which their families would be slaughtered and their property destroyed. When Virginia ratified the Bill of Rights on December 15, 1791, the Haitian Revolution, a successful slave rebellion, was underway. The right to bear arms was therefore deliberately tied to membership in a militia by the slaveholder and chief drafter of the amendment, James Madison, because only whites could join militias in the South. In 1776, Thomas Jefferson had submitted a draft constitution for Virginia that said no freeman shall ever be debarred the use of arms within his own lands or tenements. According to Picadio, this version was rejected because it would have given to free blacks the constitutional right to have firearms. Conflict and compromise in Congress produced the Bill of Rights. James Madison's initial proposal for a Bill of Rights was brought to the floor of the House of Representatives on June 8, 1789, during the first session of Congress. The initial proposed passage relating to arms was, The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, a well-armed and well-regulated militia being the best security of a free country, but no person religiously scrupulous of bearing arms shall be compelled to render military service in person. On July 21, Madison again raised the issue of his bill and proposed that a select committee be created to report on it. 
the House voted in favor of Madison's motion, and the Bill of Rights entered committee for review. The committee returned to the House a reworded version of the Second Amendment on July 28. On August 17, that version was read into the journal. A well-regulated militia, composed of the body of the people, being the best security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but no person religiously scrupulous shall be compelled to bear arms. In late August 1789, the House debated and modified the Second Amendment. These debates revolved primarily around the risk of maladministration of the government using the religiously scrupulous clause to destroy the militia as British forces had attempted to destroy the Patriot militia at the commencement of the American Revolution. These concerns were addressed by modifying the final clause, and on August 24, the House sent the following version to the Senate. A well-regulated militia, composed of the body of the people, being the best security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but no one religiously scrupulous of bearing arms shall be compelled to render military service in person. The next day, August 25, the Senate received the amendment from the House and entered it into the Senate Journal. However, the Senate scribe added a comma before shall not be infringed and changed the semicolon separating that phrase from the religious exemption portion to a comma. A well-regulated militia, composed of the body of the people, being the best security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed, but no one religiously scrupulous of bearing arms shall be compelled to render military service in person. By this time, the proposed right to keep and bear arms was in a separate amendment, instead of being in a single amendment together with other proposed rights such as the due process right. As a representative explained, this change allowed each amendment to be passed upon distinctly by the states. On September 4, the Senate voted to change the language of the Second Amendment by removing the definition of militia, and striking the conscientious objector clause. A well-regulated militia, being the best security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. The Senate returned to this amendment for a final time on September 9. A proposal to insert the words for the common defense next to the words bear arms was defeated. A motion passed to replace the words the best, and insert in lieu thereof necessary to the. The Senate then slightly modified the language to read as the fourth article and voted to return the Bill of Rights to the House. The final version by the Senate was amended to read as. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. The House voted on September 21, 1789, to accept the changes made by the Senate. The enrolled original joint resolution passed by Congress on September 25, 1789, on permanent display in the rotunda, reads as A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. On December 15, 1791, the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, was adopted, having been ratified by three-fourths of the states, having been ratified as a group by all the fourteen states then in existence except Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Georgia, which added ratifications in 1939. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.